John chapter 9. As Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the work of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went, left, washed and came back seeing. His neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, He is the one others Others were saying, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And they were divided. there was a division amongst them. Again they asked the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of, one, of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he sit now see? We know this is our son. And we know that he was born blind, his parents answered. But we don't know how he now sees. And we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed if anyone confessed him as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been, bl been blind and told him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, <coughs> I was blind. I'm blind, <clears throat> now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I've already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Do, do you? 
they ridiculed him. You're that, you're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's come from. This is, a, this is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he, would not, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And you're trying to teach us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked, We aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sinned. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Now, I'm going to be more vulnerable here than I've ever been with you all before. Yeah. This is going to be a really exposing thing to admit, but I recently binge-watched the entire new season of Love is Blind. <laughs> if you haven't heard of this show before, it's one of those bad reality TV dating shows. The premise of it is that a group of guys and girls will spend nine days separated from the other sex, and every day, they'll enter into these rooms, or pods, alone, and they'll only be able to verbally communicate with someone to get to know them without ever having even seen them. And at the end of the nine days, if they do hit it off with someone, they don't decide to start dating, they actually get engaged. <laughs> it's only after they get engaged that they get to see each other for the first time. And this is only three episodes into the season. The rest of the show is the lead-up to their wedding day in four weeks, where they experience the real world together. Now, the thing that gets me, which is the case for every uh, reality dating show, is that when they're in this programmed part of the show, their relationship always seems to move fast, and they feel like they, they comment all the time how they've known each other for years. But it's when they get into the real world that their real selves become visible. Cracks start to show. They feel like they're engaged to someone who they didn't meet in the pods. They say they feel blindsided. And all the while, I'm there at my computer yelling at the screen to say that all their problems would be solved if they just communicate. If you haven't met me before, my name is Jared. I'm a student minister here at TAC. And I promise I am not using you all as my therapist here. 
because those of you who enjoy the art of trashy TV know that there's actually an important comment that this show makes about the human experience. Part of what I believe this show is getting at is that people around us don't know everything about us. That sometimes we really do feel blind in the way that we relate to one another. We don't see the things that each person does when they're alone, or the things that they think but never say. And life seems to be a mix of hiding things we feel guilty about and being honest with people in hopes that they don't judge us. So what are you hiding from others? When no one else is watching, what are you drawn towards? Have you avoided opportunities to be vulnerable with others in order to protect yourself? We've been working through this series of I am statements, which Jesus makes throughout the Gospel letter of John. And in John 9, we come across one of the seven signs, the healing of the blind man. These signs are used in John's Gospel to reveal to us something about Jesus' identity. And through giving sight to a blind man, Jesus says this statement, I am the light of the world. Now, there are many things which can pop into your heads when you hear a statement like this, but the way I see this intersect with our present reality is that as we hide in the darkness, we long for the exposure of the light. So we're going to work through this in three sections. Firstly, Jesus is the light of the world. Secondly, the light of the world exposes and judges us. And thirdly, the light of the world saves us. Before we jump into these sections, I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in this world of darkness, you have illuminated yourself to us. Help us to grasp the truth of what that means for us. Love what you have done for us and be challenged by the way we do not live as the people of the light. May your words through me shine a light in our hearts so that we may shine your light to the world. Amen. So, let's get stuck into this with part one. Jesus is the light of the world. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn with me to John 9 as we'll be using that to help us explore Jesus' statement. But we're going to go through it thematically, so we're not going to cover absolutely everything that this passage has to say. So it comes as no surprise that when I mention the light of the world, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. But it's important for us to understand how the Bible frames the light. So that when Jesus says he is the light of the world, we can see what connections he is drawing from. So the very first mention of light in the Bible comes from Genesis 1. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Now, that separation is important, because when we look at Isaiah 9, we read this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, 
and the government will be on his shoulders. And when John, in his gospel, picks up this light, he says in chapter 1, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So, what can we understand from these passages? Well, the light is good. It is distinct from the darkness. There are people living in that darkness, and they see a great light shining in the darkness, which brings life. A child who will be born to us like the dawn, illuminating everything and exposing everything. When Jesus says that he is the light of the world, he's saying that he is the dawn, the light that shines on this dark world, illuminating it and bringing life. I don't think anyone can disagree with me here when I say that this world feels like a dark place. The way people treat each other, the horrors that we see, the pain that we experience. We all know that life on this earth is not a bed of roses, and no one gets through life unscathed. When we see the bad things in this world, Christians attribute its effects to sin. And in reality, we are no different to the disciples in this story when they see the blind man and ask Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? This blind man is in darkness. He cannot see the light. And Jesus illuminates a truth in this, which I think we get wrong so many times. He says that neither this man nor his parents sinned. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the work of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work, and as long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. And then he gives this blind man sight to see the light of day. I firstly think this statement challenges the way that we think of sin and how it relates to disability. Hila Kalpanen wrote this article about with, uh, that says this, I will always remember the first time someone prayed for my disability to go away. It was like a slap in the face. She goes on to say, and I'm paraphrasing here, that we often interpret disability in a Christian context as a result of sin and a curse. That these things happen because someone did something bad. And healing can come if they pray for their sins. Jesus is dismantling this toxic theology when he says that neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this also challenges our view of light and darkness in the world. You see, we are born into sin, into this dark world. And if anything, our experience of life feels like the opposite to this story. That the longer we live in the world, we, the more we feel like the world is sucking the light from our eyes. 
While we try to protect the innocent light of children, we ourselves adapt to the darkness. Our eyes adjust to its new vision. Light in this world, whenever we see it, feels fleeting. It quickly gets swallowed up by the darkness. I mean, in both births and marriages, we describe the initial period as a honeymoon phase, when everything is wonderful. And then when things start to get challenging, that's when we say reality kicks in. So what does it mean for this light of the world to enter into our world and not be overcome by darkness? Do we truly believe this about Jesus? Or do we treat our faith as any other light? That after a while, we depart the honeymoon phase of our faith. As we hide in the darkness, we long for the exposure of the light. Which leads us to part two. The light of the world exposes and judges us. One of my fondest memories as a child in primary school was being taught about healthy living from a giraffe known as Healthy Harold. If you don't know, which it sounds like you all do, <laughs> Healthy Harold, or Happy Harold, as we called him in my primary school, was this giraffe puppet who would travel to different schools in a white trailer and teach kids about the human body and healthy practices. Now, I know that each teacher who traveled around to schools was different, although it was always the same Harold the giraffe puppet. But despite moving schools, I was lucky enough to have the same guy throughout my entire primary school days. He was fun, he was interactive, he was the guy who brought Healthy Harold to school, and he knew everything there was to know about the healthy life. I idolized him as a kid. So it broke my heart to see him one day smoking behind a trailer. Seeing this with my own eyes changed everything I had thought about this guy. His real life had been exposed to me, and I no longer trusted him. If we're honest with ourselves, this can be one of the scariest things about life. That what we do might be exposed, and we become judged for it that people would walk away from us if they saw who we truly are. In John chapter 9, we experience, we see two forms of judgment, that of the Pharisees and that of Jesus. No sooner did Jesus heal this blind man than he was brought before the Pharisees for questioning. When the Pharisees become aware of what Jesus has done, they make this judgment in verse 16. This man is not of God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And how can a sinful man perform such signs? They continue to ask this blind man whether he was blind at birth, even to the point of getting his parents to come in and attest that he was blind at birth. Before they ask the man again in verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And I mean... The blind man is understandably astonished at the underbelief of the Pharisees. He is living proof that Jesus has done something miraculous, and yet they focus on how he did it. 
And later, in verse 28, where is he even from? This judgment on the blind man might be the judgment that we're more familiar with. When we think of being exposed and judged, our minds think of its negative implications in the world, of being forced into vulnerability, of being questioned, accused, ridiculed, and even abandoned. We might think of these things because they're what we've experienced in the world, or it's a thing that we've seen people go through. But Jesus returns in this story to show us his good judgment in verse 39. He says to the blind man, I have come into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. His judgment is that those who are blind will see what is good what is true, what lies in the darkness will be beautifully exposed so that they might see everything for what it truly is, that they might turn away from what harms them and turn to Christ. In John 3.19, Jesus says, this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds might not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth of the light will come into the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. We long for the day when the darkness of this world is exposed and judged. Which brings us to our final part. The light of the world saves us. Jesus asks this man in verse 35, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man replies, Who is he, sir, that I may believe? You see, Jesus did not come into a world that knew of their own sin and wanted to be rid of it. He entered into a world that did not know him. He came to the Jews, his own people, and they did not receive him. But to those who do receive him, who believe in him, they are given the light of life as children of God. Jesus says in John 8, just one chapter earlier, that I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As we hide in the darkness, we long for the exposure of the light. C.S. Lewis, the author of Narnia, writes, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen not only because I see it, but by it, I see everything else. It exposes everything 
for what it is. Nothing is hidden from it. And by it, we are saved from what destroys us. All of us lived in the dark, in deep pits of our own mess. Because no one could see us in our mess, it became our comfort. But then this light comes. It shines on our mess and shows us that we need help. But he does more than that. He climbs down into the pit, into our mess. He picks us up. He makes us clean. And he brings us out of the pit. Jesus knows you, all of you. As the light, he sees you for all that you are, all that you have done. And he still loves you enough to die for you. When I've talked with people who have had their hidden sins brought into the light, exposed for their alcoholism, their pornography addiction, their gossip, they have all commented that the greatest day of their lives was the day that they were caught. So what does this mean for us? I think this means two things. Firstly, because we have seen the light, it doesn't mean that we no longer experience the darkness and its temptations. Jesus is the light of the world, but the world itself is not light. And we do find that the comfort of darkness tempts us to return to it. One of the biggest struggles I had as I was growing up in my faith is wondering, why did I have to encounter Jesus now? Why did I have to become aware of my sin before I really got a chance to live my life? Why couldn't I have just remained in the darkness a little while longer? I wonder if you've asked these questions before. I wonder if these thoughts have also crossed your mind as you put your faith to one side and briefly lived as if you never knew Jesus. How might you intentionally fix your eyes on the light of Christ so that your desire for Christ is greater than what the temptation that the dark offers? For me, that was found in spending more time enjoying the company of the family that I had been saved into. Secondly, as those who believe in the Son of Man, we have seen the light and we live in it. We were the people who, have walk, who were walking in the darkness who have seen a great light, and through Jesus, we now have the light of life. And that impacts how we relate to one another and how we relate to the world. In my previous sermon, I was noticeably vulnerable with you all, and for the most part, I was encouraged and welcomed. Because that is what a community who lives in the light should be. If we gathered together under any other name, 
Sharing what is really going on for us would be a dangerous thing. We wouldn't be able to predict how people would respond. But we are united under Christ, who saw us in our brokenness and our mess, saw everything that we are and chose to die on the cross for us, to be the light that leads us to new life. There is nothing that you could have done that God would not have forgiven you if you turned to him. Therefore, as God's people, neither should we. We should love unconditionally as Jesus loved us. We should love one another so much that it costs us because that is how Jesus loved us. And as we love one another in this way, we should shine that out into our community so that we may welcome in the outsider who has seen the light of Christ that shines in us. We should not judge them as the world does for what the light of Christ exposes in their hearts, but love them all the more for how Christ has saved them. So family, as we live in this dark world, continue to fix your eyes on the exposing and life-giving light of Christ and long for the day that he returns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your love you have brought the light into our dark world. Thank you that by it, the darkness is exposed and we have been brought near. Please help us to desire the goodness of the light more than the comfort of the darkness so that we can act like beacons, shining the, light, the life and love of your light into our dark world. Amen.